0: Hello, and welcome to Broadband Conversations, the podcast where I get to talk to leading women from across the technology, innovation, and media industries. You get to hear what they're working on, what's on their minds, and what they think is the next big thing. My name is Jessica Rosenworcel, and I am a commissioner at the Federal Communications Commission. 193 countries are going to gather in Egypt to decide the future of wireless communications. And Grace Coe is my guest today, and she is going to lead the United States delegation to this international treaty writing conference, which most of us know as the World Radio Communications Conference. And the decisions that are made here at this conference are going to impact so many important things in wireless communications, from rural broadband to satellite orbits to the future of 5G. So Grace, I know you are busy preparing, and I am so thrilled that you could take a little time out from your very busy schedule, and chat with me today. So thank you for being here.
1: Not at all. Thanks so much for inviting me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Ah. And I just want to add what a cool idea this podcast is.
0: Oh, fantastic. Look, you're you're a fan on the line already. I'm excited. (laughs) That's right. Um, But you know what I want to start with? Before we get to the World Radio Communication Conference, I want to have a little bit of an origin story. I want to know (laughs) how Grace got to the State Department and tell us, how uh, how you got uh, started in communications and how you're in this diplomatic role today.
1: Uh, it's really funny. Um, uh, gosh, Jessica, I wish I could say that my career was fairly directed, and I'm sure there's a way I can tell it where um, I, I do look like I actually know what I was doing as I sort of made the career choices that I did. But um, I want to say uh, it's more sort of a... A, a set of opportunities that opened up and i think uh, a willingness to take risks because of good friends and um uh, and a, and a willingness to try something that perhaps i, I wasn't sure i could do so i uh, just to be a little more specific about that um i got into i think um technology generally when i left college and i was i left college at about the time when everybody was leaving to um to work at the dot-com startups, and um, and I, I I joined up with uh, one company with the American National Standards Institute to develop their their, their publishing shop, which was going digital, and uh, then I joined up with a startup, which I thought was exciting and different and new, and um, then the bubble burst, and <laughs> ended up sort of uh, seeking out the law path, because I... I figured that I was, at that point, I had started to get an interest in how regulation actually impacted startups, because um, one of the things that I encountered when I was working at BeliefNet, which um, was the startup I joined, uh, was the implementation of COPPA. Um,
0: the Child Online Privacy Protection Act, right?
1: That's right. That's right. Uh, with that in mind, I think I went to law school thinking I was interested in tech and policy and sort of followed uh, Followed my path from there. DC was the natural place to end up after law school, and um, you know worked in the private sector for about nine, ten years, and uh, had an opportunity to join the staff at the House Energy and Commerce Committee, and uh, jumped at that, um, even though I thought I had uh, had had none, no experience in uh, the in uh, in the uh, congressional world, um, but I thought it was interesting. I thought it was exciting and wanted to take that risk and, and jumped on board. And uh, from there, I sort of uh, kept doing, I think, public service. So about three four years at the House, um, and then uh, a year at the National Economic Council uh, under Gary Cohn at the White House, and um, then, uh, then uh, a short stint private sector, and then back to the government with the uh, State Department.
0: Wow. So you have worked both in the private sector and the public sector. So to anyone out there who is considering a life in government, I think it would be great if you could say, why do you think public service is important?
1: If you want to be involved in public policy, that's usually a bug that hits you sort of before you actually go to government, right? Um, if, you're involved, if you're interested in how people should structure, their communications, their lives, their their other, you know, tax policies, economic policies, whatever else, um, uh, the government is really the place where you can learn the most and do the most. Um, if you want to be effective on the outside as a private sector member influencing policy, there is no substitute really for actually working in the government to really understand how those uh, levers work and uh, what, uh, what considerations are being sort of um Brought in, brought to bear when when policymakers are making decisions. Sure. So it's it's good for it's good to understand sort of w- how those decisions get made, and I don't think you can really learn that until you've actually been in the government. Um, so that's you know sort of the selfish career-building side of things, and then there is sort of just plain the excitement and the awe of working for uh, the United States as your clients, right? Right. Um, right. <laughs> if that is really amazing, uh, I took this job because I wanted to be able to say I, I, I had, I I had negotiated a treaty for the United States. I mean, if that if that doesn't give you it's a little cause, chilling, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, I, I know that you worked in the Senate also, um, Jessica. Mm-hmm. But if when do you remember walking through the halls of the Senate and thinking to yourself, "My God, I work here." right?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, service is an incredible honor, and if you feel like you've been fortunate, um, there are opportunities to give back, and I think public service in any environment is one of them.
1: I I do think it's an incredible honor and an incredible privilege.
0: Oh, it's good to know your heart skips a beat. You've got a lot of responsibilities, (laughs) and so let's talk a little bit about those, and Let's start with 5G, because everyone in Washington is talking about 5G and the next generation of wireless services. But all the time I get asked, what's it all about, and what does it mean? Is it just about our videos loading faster, and what does lower latency even have to do with how I use online services? So it's so much more than that, it's a rethinking of our wireless environment, and the entire world around us as we connect more people and more things. So I'd love it if you give me your elevator pitch for why 5G is so important.
1: I, absolutely. Um, so I think the way that many people have explained this, uh, have, have explained sort of the revolution to 5G, is um, is that it it actually possibly turns uh, these uh, telecommunication services, these wireless telecommunication services, into a general-purpose technology, which... Basically, means it, it's sort of like the printing press. It's sort of like electricity in that suddenly it can be uh, it, it can be the platform on which many, many, many new services can be built. So I think when people talk generally about 5G, they talk less about the actual technology behind it and more about the specific use cases. And the three specific use cases they usually spe- uh, speak of are uh, massive um, massive IoT, so t- uh, tons and tons of Little um, objects that just take little sips of data um, and provide data throughout, um, uh, and provides uh, feedback. And then um, the other one is uh, mission-critical systems like driverless cars, transportation systems, industrial control systems, utility or, uh, utility metering, monitoring, and and uh, agricultural systems, things like that. So, um, so there are, I think, I mean. The mission-critical con- uh, systems are sort of a variant on the IoT systems, but uh, the difference is that the low latency off- afforded by 5G systems are, are, um, is sort of um, the low latency afforded by 5G systems allows these mission-critical systems to operate um, uh, and to be uh, successful, actually. Um, then, of course, the third case, third use case is um, enhanced broadband, which is sort of the the VR, AR applications, the ability to uh, uh, to get gigabit speeds to your to your phone, really virtual um,
0: reality and augmented reality, the next stage of what we can do with video and communications. Okay.
1: Exactly, exactly. And to have that sort of wirelessly as you're walking around, to have information um, in real time as you're making decisions is pretty phenomenal.
0: Yeah. Okay, so how right. does all of that relate to this coming meeting in Egypt and the World Radio Communications Conference?
1: 5G definitely. Is, 5G is a big, I think, um, presence in this conference. And I think that Warc 19 WRC-19, 19, um, uh, will be the conference that brings millimeter wave spectrum to uh, 5G. So um, many people don't know exactly how the ITU works. but Yes, the ITU many people.
0: It's its own complex system. Every time I'm given a flow chart, I feel like it's infinite. So I'd love it <laughs> if you could talk a little bit more about, you know, the lay of the land, who attends, how this entire conference works, and why it matters.
1: Sure. Um, The International Telecommunications Union administers uh, several treaties, um, and one is obviously the Constitution and the makeup of the ITU itself. Um, And then uh, one particular treaty, the one that, that we're talking about here, are the radio regulations, and it essentially governs how countries use spectrum particularly with respect to each other. So, as uh, you know, Jessica, the spectrum doesn't stop at the border. <laughs> and there are lots of coordination issues that we um, face with our neighbors, Canada and Mexico. And uh, the U.S. is relatively lucky in that we only really have two borders to think of. Um, of course, if you look in europe, um there are certainly a, a large number of borders and uh international harmonization of spectrum becomes a much more i think pressing issue um in order to be able to i think uh, ensure that interference doesn't undermine the uh, deployment of new services so this this conference uh, uh updates essentially the radio regulations, which all countries sign on to and agree to abide by as law. So it is a treaty conference, and the U.S. is bound to abide by it. The agenda for what updates that this conference will make is set at the last conference, which was in 2015. So 2015 essentially established that we would be looking at harmonizing millimeter wave 5G spectrum. Now, that is a big deal. Um, 5G, I think, deployment is going to be different from pretty much every other deployment of wireless services, correct? Um, it's just a lot more density in terms of um, what we're putting up as uh, as equipment, as you've probably heard. I know that the FCC has done quite a bit of work on uh, small cells and making it easier to deploy. Um, but uh, what happens here with the harmonization of spectrum, especially in the millimeter wave, is that... All countries will be deploying within this spectrum, so it makes uh, the equipment much more interoperable, and it also makes uh, makes it easier for operators to deploy because of the economies of scale that the manufacturers are able to get. If we can all agree on what kinds of spectrum we want for 5G, instead of uh, you know piecemeal selecting two gigs here, one gig there. Um, you have uh, you have the ability to lower the cost of five G deployment immensely. Right. Um, so that's that's one of the benefits that will come out of this particular conference, specifically re- with respect to five G.
0: So international coordination means economies of scale and lower cost deployment across mm-hmm. borders that's and correct. worldwide. So that's, that's why correct. it's really really key. And this year, maybe you could tell me what you hope to come out of this big world-class event, or, or better put, what would you describe as the United States' priorities for this event?
1: That's a great question, and we are certainly, um, we've been preparing for this conference for the past three to four years, developing what the U.S. positions need to be on, um, uh, in response to, I think, the agenda items that we've teed up here. Certainly, millimeter wave spectrum for 5G is incredibly important, and we um, uh, The FCC has been uh, working tirelessly, uh, actually, to ensure that there's a millimeter wave spectrum made available uh, to, I think, uh, to to carriers. Um, And generally speaking, the U.S. is looking uh, to make sure that its millimeter wave um, uh, spectrum plans align and sometimes even lead what the world is going to do on, on millimeter wave spectrum. So take the case, for example, of um, the 26, uh, 24 gigahertz band, which was just auctioned off. That is one of the key bands, I think, that most countries have identified for uh, 5G across the world. Now, the rules have not been set just yet. They are waiting for the uh, the World Radio Conference to actually establish the rules and ensure that there's a specific parameter set around how that spectrum gets used. But... Um, in the travels that I've had, and there have been many, um, it's clear that every region of the globe is interested in identifying that spectrum for 5G millimeter wave use. Now, this is the spectrum that is going to be bringing us the streaming fast broadband speeds to the phone. This is not the spectrum that's going to necessarily be the um, the low latency spectrum that gets used for tiny sips of data in rural North Dakota, but uh, this is the spectrum that will be Deployed in cities in many instances, and used to, I think, really boost. I think, uh, bring the next generation of technology apps that that are that ride across really fast. I think wireless platforms. The U.S. has been very forward-leaning in what it's 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 chosen to do on 5G, um, and uh, I think the U.S. is is uh, perhaps leading. Um, if that's not too arrogant a term, has been leading uh, leading the way on this. Uh, but it is very clear that the world also agrees that this is where um, 5G should be deployed. Now, we don't yet agree on exactly how, but uh, that's part of what we're going to try to work out at, this, at the conference. So
0: outside of millimeter wave, are there going to be discussions about lower bands in spectrum? That have more capacity, and also are there going to be specific discussions about satellite services or other things that you think are priorities at this gathering?
1: Absolutely. There is um, there is actually somewhere around uh, forty seven, I think, agenda items. So the millimeter wave spectrum is really um, a, a few of those items. So we've identified a number of uh, gigahertz bands for the um, for millimeter wave deployment, but um, Quite a few of the items that go before the ITU for revisions to the radio regulation are uh, satellite-oriented because satellites really are, require global regulation. You can't just send up a satellite without expecting to make sure that you've cleared with other countries that your satellite is not going to actually bump into somebody else's Absolutely. satellite. Absolutely. So it's fairly, clear, uh, fairly key. <laughs> but uh one of the exciting things about this conference that uh, that I think personally is quite interesting is that we are going to be looking for ways to coordinate NGSOs and GSOs. So that's non-geostationary orbit satellites and geostationary orbit satellites. Um now that doesn't sound exciting just on the face of it but I think
0: it sounds we, exciting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I I got a vote cut. for you there. <laughs> that's great. Um there's nothing like talking to another fellow um tech nerd mm-hmm. I mean it is it's it, it's it, you are speaking my language jessica all right um <laughs> but tell the me idea more of, right no the the idea of uh, actually seeing um seeing how we can actually manage to get these plans for these thousands of satellites have um have touted as the next answer to really bringing ubiquitous broadband um uh how to get those uh, constellations, those mega constellations, up and running across uh, across the globe, um, are it, it, this ITU um, uh, conference, the work 19, will be actually very key to actually setting up the regulations for allowing them to do that. Um, without those regulations, it will be very difficult. and will be difficult to understand how they impact current satellites that do actually already provide critical services, and it will be difficult to figure out how to make sure that, that we get them up there in a safe and practical
0: manner. So is it fair to um, say that it's also challenging to to balance all of these interests, your terrestrial, new wireless interests that often involve 5G, existing satellite systems that there are all sorts of world actors who depend on, and also all these new and exciting constellations that we read about every day when it comes to uh, new uh, satellites that we could see in our skies.
1: Yes, it is incredibly challenging. But um, uh, you as a commissioner know that this is what we signed up for, right? And uh, and I think, you know, it, it really... Um, I'm always glad when I see people like yourself and a number of other folks at the commission, obviously, who are interested in making measured, thoughtful, and um, uh, well, well-informed choices when we come to make these uh, when we when we have to make calls one way or the other.
0: Yeah, and then do you also play a role at this conference in identifying what the agenda will be for the next conference after this one?
1: absolutely uh so uh, just as the agenda for work nineteen was set by work fifteen, work nineteen will set the agenda for work twenty three all and right, so look into your crystal ideas. ball,
0: tell me what you think that will involve
1: that's a um that is uh that is actually a, a topic of hot debate right now among the regions um now uh, the agenda will basically set off studies for the next three to four years um uh at the ITU, uh, and these studies are staffed by um, folks from the FCC, from NTIA, from a variety of other agencies who have spectrum interests, and they will provide the inputs into the decisions that are made at Work 23. The topics so far that have been raised um, range from inter-satellite links, um, suborbital vehicles, uh, essentially, I love saying this, space planes, which is so neat. uh, these are planes that will go back and forth between the United uh, between the Earth and uh, a floating space station. Um, there is uh, obviously continued interest in um, figuring out how to use um, how to bring Earth stations in motion. So the the, the services that um, that serve uh, serve you when you're on on a flight um, on the United flight back and forth from DC to Geneva, for example. Um, Uh, So there's continued interest there, Um, and there is still interest in figuring out mid-band for 5G. Um, I think there's quite a bit of um, question as to how we identify uh, bands that might be ripe for study um, uh, to to identify them for 5G, uh, for harmonized 5G deployment. Um, that in, in itself is uh, particularly difficult, I'm sure you know, because I think the mid-band is already quite crowded with incumbents. Sure.
0: But it's also, of course, a place where you can get a lot of capacity, so mm-hmm. it can be dramatically effective when it comes to deploying and reaching large numbers of people and things for 5G.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely.
0: Uh, anything else you're really looking forward to when you head to Egypt?
1: Um, <laughs> It's you know it's fun. It, uh, the whole experience is so interesting. Just um, I'm definitely interested in, in in seeing how this all plays out, um, and uh, and how the negotiations go. And um, I'm really excited about the closing ceremony where you actually get to sign a finished document where we've actually all come to an agreement uh, on how we want to use this spectrum and how we can actually um, ensure that we've accommodated the issues and um, objections of, of, you know, of, of, of different uh, regions or different countries and, you know, how we've actually managed to make things work for everyone. Right. It's, it's so tough. I mean, spectrum allocation and policy and I'd, l- I'd love to get your take on this as well but it's um, I mean it's just harder and harder to figure out how we are going to use this very scarce resource um, <laughs> given the requirements for uh, protection or for limiting um, I think uh, or, or for limiting interference and it becomes and Spectrum obviously has increasingly become not just the lifeblood of communications but the economy as well if you think That's right. When you get to the point where we're actually charging wirelessly as well. So it's not just communications, but we're also transferring energy um, across the airwaves.
0: So is there anything you think that's going to be especially contentious?
1: Oh. um, Or all of it, uh, you know? (laughs) I mean... I just think that spectrum allocation has just become much more, I think, heated and and, uh, more difficult as we, you know, the choices just become more difficult because it's all important and um, we all need to use spectrum. So I think the efficiencies that we can derive through improved technology are going to be more and more key. Our mitigation techniques have to get better and our um, ability to, uh, I think, tolerate, negotiate uh, more coexistence is going to be important as well. So it is becoming a, 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 just a very interesting area where um, uh, the resource allocation is just becoming just thinner and thinner and thinner, I think, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. No, listen, I mean, this is not a discrete sector of the economy anymore. It's an input to everything we do. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the choices we make have uh, a lot to do with how we'll communicate in every way in the future
1: yeah absolutely um and uh I think uh you know we hope that we make the right choices at the w r c and we hope we also plan to study the right things for w r c twenty three uh, that sounds no so, far, that away. Choices, that sounds so far away that sounds it is so far away. But it's amazing. I mean, there are people at, at the FCC itself, right, who who are planning for uh, 2023 and what their inputs are going to be.
0: I know. I so appreciate the work they're doing and the work you're doing, too. But I want to bring our conversation to an end, and we always do it by asking folks some of the same questions. So sure. let me go ahead and say, do you remember what's the first thing you ever did online or on the Internet? <laughs>
1: You're going to laugh at me, and maybe you remember this too, but do you remember um, uh, Pine, the email client? That was a command line interface, I think, um, back when, uh, I guess, that, that was one of the first things I did was to set up my email um, uh, using uh, the, uh, Pine on a, on a Unix box.
0: Ah. That, that sounds yeah. like an appropriately tech nerdy response. Uh, you know, it's bonus points for that nerdy. one. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so now let's go mundane. What's the last thing you did online or with the Internet?
1: Oh, just now I actually um, uh, just, I think I've, I looked up, I, I need to throw a party. <laughs> so I just looked up somebody's, uh, a restaurant's phone number. So I just looked that up, and that was just the most recent thing I done the, did on the Internet. Ah,
0: uh, okay, that sounds but I, good. Yeah. And, and I yeah. definitely think when the World Radio Communication Conference is over, you'll need to be throwing yourself one as well. So keep those numbers handy. Um, oh, will do. Now, here's a big one, and I want you to think a little bit about it. What do you think the future of the Internet and digital life looks like?
1: That's such an interesting question. Um, When I think about the ubiquity that I think 5G is going to bring, um, as a ubiquity of connection, I can't imagine that we aren't going to have these, and and forgive me for for using a really mundane sort of uh, uh, analogy here, but I can't imagine that we're not going to have these sort of Iron Man-style existences where... (laughs) um, you know you're walking down a, a, a street and you're you know you're uh, you're just given the information that you need that there's going to be i think um the ability you're going to for example walk up to a friend and uh, you're going to know immediately sort of what the last interaction you had with that person was or um, uh, that, that sort of assisted thinking um, that, that occurs when, when you have sort of information at your fingertips fed directly to you, not pulled in the way that we do it today. Today, if, you know, uh, uh, the, the term Google it will become, I guess, sort of obsolete because you won't have to pull the information anymore, it will just be pushed to you. And that's a a sort of mildly terrifying combination of um, AI becoming as useful as it needs to because you will have to be, you won't have to sift through all sorts of unwanted information to get what you're looking for, but AI will be pushing the information that's relevant to you and a a combination of uh, pure ubiquity. Um, And I think that that's what our 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 personal lives are going to look like, and I think this will be incredibly useful for obviously for our professional lives as well. But I think it 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 it, it applies to our personal lives also
0: mm-hmm. that's extraordinary I don't know if I'm that's, frightened by that. yeah. I mean, there's a huge um amount of efficiency and benefit in that, and mm-hmm. possibilities for connection and also extraordinary challenges for security associated yes. with that kind of information yes. as well. So exactly. lots of work to do ahead for policymakers. Yes. Right. All right. That wraps up this episode of Broadband Conversations. Thank you so much, Grace, for being here. And good luck at the World Radio Communication Conference. Thank you to everyone for listening. Take care.